Welcome to A Page in History. Join us on a fascinating journey as we delve into the memories of the world-famous NBC Pages. Get ready to hear first-hand accounts of their unforgettable experiences as they navigated the hallways of Burbank, California and the iconic 30 Rockefeller Plaza. Prepare to hear fascinating stories that were never meant to reach the ears of the general public. And now, your host for A Page in History, David Harris Katz. My next guest gets a special pass for today's conversation because although she technically wasn't an NBC page, she might as well have been one. She was actually once the department director who oversaw hundreds of pages navigate their own careers. Before she held that prestigious title, she was working in other roles for the National Broadcasting Company. She once worked on a team that helped create some successful folks that went on to super stardom. Perhaps you've heard of a guy named Howard Stern. Yes, our next guest worked on a little radio station called WNBC. She even went on to work for a guy named David Letterman. We're going to hear all those stories and a lot more. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Ms. Janice Panino. Hi, David Katz. Janice Panino, ladies and gentlemen, how are Hello there. Oh my How God, How are you? Janice. It's nice to see you. Holy cow. I haven't, so yeah, it's amazing. I haven't seen you in, uh, well, I literally haven't spoken to you personally in like 30 years. And you do look exactly the way you looked in 30 years. So Aww. God bless you. It's amazing. That's, it's it's so nice. cool. Oh, it's nice so amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, no, so thank you for taking the time. And as I mentioned in the open, um, you, even though you weren't an NBC page, you literally have so much insight into that uh, iconic program and really got to work with so many folks. Um, and I know personally for my own uh, group, we had some folks that went on to be writers for, uh, for were actually for Saturday Night Live and for Seinfeld uh, and some other movies. And then you, we know someone that went on to uh, work for Good Morning America uh, and probably there's there's probably a bunch more. Mm -hmm. But um, in the intro, again, let's let's go back a little bit, because when I started, you were the director of the department. And, you know, as a young 20 year old kid, you know, I'm like looking up at all these folks and I don't really know. I don't know what's going on. So in my eyes, I, I kind of just assumed that you had worked there for 20 years for all Zion. I really never gave it any thought. But apparently you didn't really work. You, you were there not too long after I got there, I guess, but you had worked for WNBC prior. So tell me a little bit about your history, about how you like got to work for w, for, for NBC and then, you know, your your time at uh, WNBC and then Howard Stern. So tell me about that. Sure. I uh, went to college at St. John's University here in New York City. And so that afforded me the opportunity to do internships, you know, that we all know are so important. And I had a friend who had been an intern at WNBC and she recommended that I apply and I did. So I became, I think the only, only the second intern to ever work in their sales department. Mm. And I worked there two days a week. I went to school three days a week, two days a week at the radio station and absolutely loved it and graduated. Um, 
came back to visit. Now, this goes back so long, David Katz, that <laughs> there were, think about this. I didn't have an answering machine in my house. There were no fax machines. There was no way to get in touch with somebody unless you happened to be sitting next to the phone when it rang. So graduated from school, um, was looking for work, stopped by the radio station one day um, because a girlfriend of mine that I had interned with was working there as the receptionist to have lunch with her. And out comes the assistant to the general manager who says, Janice, we've been looking for you. We have a job for you. And I got hired as the um, promotion coordinator. So I started there as promotion coordinator. I worked for this wonderful woman named Ellen Kay, who left a couple years later to go to this crazy startup thing called cable TV that um, uh, she was going to USA Network. So she said to me, there's no reason that you cannot get my job. And um, so I had to apply. And I did her job and my job for about a month while other people were being interviewed for the position. And I just put my head down, did both jobs, worked as hard as I could and pitched that, you know, I was young, I was 24. Listen, I can do this. You've seen I can do it. Hire me. And they did. So that's how I got that job. And I stayed there until the station went off the air. Um, I started in 1980-81 and the station went off the air in 88. So I worked there for that span of time and as the promotion manager for four years. So during my tenure, um, Imus had been there the whole time. Howard came and went. So he was there for a couple of years while I was there and he was lovely to work with. Um, you know, it was very crazy, but lots of fun. And we existed in our own little bubble, right? So when the station was going off the air, I really liked working at NBC and I thought, well, maybe there were other opportunities within the organization for me to do something else. And I started applying for work and this job as manager of guest relations came up. Now I had never been a page. I had didn't know a lot about the program other than what I knew from the tours coming through and what I knew from going to see tapings and being around pages when they would be bringing us to our seats. So I didn't really know a lot about it and honestly didn't think I had like a snowball's chance in hell of getting this job. Wow. But for whatever reason, I think they they were looking for somebody who didn't have a lot of history with the program and who brought some creativity to the role because they were looking to revamp the NBC tour at that time. So lo and behold, I get this job. And um, that's how I ended up in guest relations. And I stayed there for four years and then left, went back into radio for a little bit, and then um, started working at Letterman when Letterman went from NBC to CBS. Uh, wow. And I, the reason that I had the opportunity to work at Letterman was because I had done all their audience work. You know, the, the department kept shrinking as the years went on. So some of us took over work that other people had done prior. Mm -hmm. So um, a, a lot of us were involved in, you know, in dealing with the different shows from an audience capacity. So um, I got to to work with the people at Letterman among some other shows. And that's how I got to know them. And um, Dave's assistant actually uh, got in touch with me. And there's a, a, a backstory to how that goes back to the, the, the uh, guest relations department. But um, she got in touch with me when they were moving and she just was like, we miss you. What's happening with you? How are you? And that turned into me saying, hey, what are you doing about your audiences when you go to CBS? And she said, I don't know. You should talk to one of the producers. And I did. And that's how I ended up starting at Letterman. And I stayed there for 22 years until we went off the air in 2015. Oh 
Wow. And then so, I worked in theater for for six years, almost six years until I until I just retired. Wow. So so let's un, let's go but let's go back. No, it's, okay. you just gave us a great uh, summation. So let's just go back a little bit because there's a bunch of stuff uh, obviously that happened in between. So for starters, um, I remember, I guess when I start. Well, first of all, WNBC. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I mean, it, it, and it's funny because watching it was interesting because watching the Howard Stern's movie. And I know that everybody, you know, I, I was never really a Howard Stern fan. I, I kind of didn't really care either way. But even when I watched the movie, um, I really felt a connection to everything that he was trying to do. And um, and it was very, I, I looked at it as very inspirational because I, I looked at it as just a guy trying to make it. You know, he was he was like doing anything he could to try to, you know, make it. So I think when I started, um his he was not there so i guess he had probably gone off the air um you know a little bit before i got there but i do remember the which is really cool for the for the listeners um getting off i guess i guess it was the fifth floor second and floor. Se oh second oh was second floor okay so mm -hmm. i don't know why i said it. maybe okay and again it was a while ago so i guess the second floor but i remember in the movie again they walk off the elevator and his studio was right there Mm -hmm. And I do remember going like I was so nosy as a page. Um, I would always go into every any locked door or any broken whatever I could find. I was always even in mini control. We could talk about that. Like there was a there was like a radio thing in in mm -hmm. there. We I want to talk about that. So I remember going in there, and the um, the cleaning crew had their cleaning supplies where Howard Stern did his show. So I used to walk. You know, like anytime I was on a break, I would walk in there and I'd I'd literally just walk around and like I'm like, oh my God. Like it was just I was like walking in in this like like sacred place. Um and going in and looking out of the windows where he would do his show. So tell me a little bit, did you have any interactions with Howard? Did did your boss like what was that? Was there anything that was interesting when he was there? Because he was causing a lot of trouble. So did you see any of that stuff? It was, yes, I did. Mm. Um, first of all, that studio, the one on the second floor, you would come out of the elevators and it would be right in front of you. It was part of the NBC tour, right? Mm. When we were on the air and all of the on-air personalities were in that same studio. It just wasn't his, it was everybody's. Oh, okay. So okay. as the shifts would change, like Imus, Imus would be there in the morning and then whoever mm. was the midday person for a while, it was Soupy Sales would be there in the middle of the day. And then it was Howard in the afternoon. And then it was whoever came on at night. Right. Mm. So that was the radio studio. Mm. And Howard did not like the fact that the tours came by. It really bothered him. He, especially as he got more popular, it, it just was very uncomfortable for him to have to have these people gawking at him while he was trying to do his thing because he wasn't doing just a regular, Hey, I'm going to play this song next and let's go to commercial. It was, a lot of live comedy and live bits and lots going on. And it just was very disturbing to him. So he used to close the blinds and then he would get in trouble for closing the blinds. So he was told you have to leave the blinds open. And now remember these, this goes back 35 years probably. Right. <laughs> so this is my memory of this situation. But one day he got so fed up that he decided, okay, general manager, you think it's so nice to have people come and watch you work. I'm going to bring an entire tour group into your office 
and watch you as they work, which is exactly oh. what he did. And he broadcast it as it was happening. Oh my so God. he brings this whole group, these poor tourists and whoever the page was, I, I don't know who it was, but whoever that poor page was in troops, all these people into, I forget if it was Randy Beingarten or John Hayes, who was the general manager at that time. I don't remember which one of them it was into his office. Here he is. Here's our general manager. The general manager had his own bathroom. Here's the general manager's bathroom. Like it was. Oh my bathroom. God. So it's um, <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. And, and he, on his serious show, I'm told they still air a lot of these old shows like the, the WNBC shows. Oh. So somewhere along the way, somebody may have even heard this bit in recent years, wow. but Howard was always lovely. Um, even when he would do things like he called me once and pretended that he was the tonight show and that the tonight show wanted to book him. And so I said, that's amazing, but I'm not his publicist. I do promotion for the radio station. I'll give you the name of the publicist and you can talk to them about making that arrangement. And he comes on the air and Janice, anytime that the tonight show calls you, I don't care. You book me. And after he would do this, he would stop by your office, his, you know, my office after the show and say, thank you for that. That was really funny. You did a great job, even though I had no idea he was going to do that. Right. Um, but he was always very gracious and very nice. So it was a lot of fun um, to work with him. We did a trip to California where we took 30 listeners to California oh, wow. and did a week of shows from a pool at a hotel. And he would put me on the air and say, it's warmer. It was in May. He was like, it's warmer in New York than it is out here. Uh, we're freezing by this pool. Why did you bring us here? That kind of stuff. And then wow. at the end of that, oh, thank you so much. You know, thank you for helping out with the show or whatever. Right. So he was really great. Um, and I had I saw him years later. He came on to do Letterman and I happened to be in the theater and, you know, Janice, how are you? How's your family? How's everything? Like he was just always lovely. Right. He seemed, and that's the thing. Again, I, well, it's funny. Even when I was, um, when I was in, it was funny. Do you, do you know who Catherine Kinley is? I don't know. You remember Catherine Kinley? She was, she did a bunch of, she, she was like one of the original VH1 folks and she did tons of things. Shockingly, I just saw her the other day. And when I was at WNBC, we were in the studio and Howard Stern was doing live at five. And I'm standing there with Catherine and she's a very pretty girl. And, and she's like, you know, Howard's like, uh, you know, look at that piece of meat over there. You know, why don't you come over here? And he actually says, come on, Catherine. And she's standing there. Like, I'm not, you know, like I'm not, and I, Sue Simmons was there. And, and I think Sue, I forget if she was egging her on to come on or whatever it was, but she wound up going, you know, and again, I just look at it. He's just trying to get ratings. You know, and daring, and it's funny, I always use the term daring to be different because I worked for WLIR and that was their tagline in the day. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's trying to do things sort of out of the ordinary and he wound up calling her over and and she got she got in a lot of trouble for it from because she, our general manager, called her over like after the show and it was another long story. But the point is he, in my opinion, again, because I'm not really you know, I wasn't necessarily a fan, but I listened to him because I find that he's inspirational more than anything else. Like I, he's just trying to get ratings. And the fact that he was so gracious to you and thanked you for participating in his bit, you know, that's what he was trying to do. So, so, you know, I, uh, you know, kudos to him. Uh, and it sounds like a lot of fun that you can, that you did that. Um, uh, it was, it was, it was, you know, it was the 1980s. We worked at this radio station that was 
a flagship for NBC, but we were in our own bubble. You know, we, we existed very independently of everything else that went on at the network, uh, as far as my role was concerned. You know, I'm sure that our general manager had to deal with the people who were above him, who ran the radio division and all, you know, and all of that. But I, I, it was, it was a wonderful first job because it, it really, it was so much fun and so creative and so free, freeing in a lot of ways. You know, um, there wasn't a lot of corporate oversight of, yeah. of what I was doing anyway. Right. Um, you know, and my job was to come up with ideas for contests and deal with creating advertising with an advertising agency and the ad buys and the sales promotions and the publicity and like all of those kinds of things. Wow. So it really was a lot of fun. It was, it was a really fun job and it was, I was, we were all very sad to see it end. Right. And it's funny, again, it's totally random, but I, you know, I'm so anal about all these different things, but the, the peacock feathers and you could, and, and, and for those of you that, that know, we're going to talk, Janice, you know, we'll talk about, you know, maybe uh, becoming a page or what's entailed with that. But I remember when we started, we had to, we had a book. And we had to memorize this entire book of of the history of NBC and everything about it. And one of the things that I remember, and, and maybe I don't know if you would remember, but the the seven is it seven or six? I guess six colors of the peacock. Each feather of the new logo represented a division of NBC. So one of those feathers represented the radio division. So one was radio, one was sports, one was entertainment. So ironically, when I was there, we had those right six feathers. But when they got rid of the radio division, mm -hmm. technically they should have gotten rid of one of the feathers. <laughs> so I don't know. Does that ring any bells? Not I, that, you not know, we'll have to. Apple. I'm going to have to consult with Ken Hamill, uh, who we had <laughs> on the show. So Ken Hamill, he'll know the the exactly. But I so I remember, and me being like I'm I'm like well we got rid of one of the divisions we got to get rid of one of the feathers. Um, so in any case, so that was amazing. So now fast forward um, to, you know, so the good news is you now found a new job at NBC, which was the director of the pages. Right. It was the title was manager of guest relations, manager of guest relations. OK, right. so uh, and again, just for those, uh, it's funny if you go to 30 Rock now, <clears throat> it's really interesting where the security desk is. They're used, and right now there's stairs going up to the mezzanine, mm -hmm. which is which was the store. There was a store there, but they knocked the store down, put these stairs going up to the mezzanine. The mezzanine is where our lounge was or offices. So I don't even know where in the building they are, but um, but uh, so if anyone goes to Thirty Rock, you'll see that how they how everything changed. So tell me about you going in that department, and then once you got in the department. You know, what was that like to take over a role that you really didn't have experience with? And then tell me about some of the things that you did to try to make it better, I guess. Right. I um, I was a baby. You know, I really was. I had come from my little bubble at this radio station and was thrust into a world where, first of all, I could never... There was a woman that worked, had worked there for many years, and I couldn't figure out, like, they, she should have been the person to get this job. Like, why'd they give this job to me, who has zero experience with working with pages, right, or any real background in what that department represented? But as I said before, I think that they really wanted somebody to come in with fresh eyes 
who didn't have any history with how things had always worked with the PAGE program. And they also were revamping, they wanted to revamp the tour and they knew I had a, a background in being creative. And so I guess they thought that this would be a good project for somebody like me to work on. Um, so there were a couple of things that I was tasked with right at the very beginning. And I will say this, that my direct supervisor was in California, because remember, there was an NBC page program in Los Angeles too. Right, right. And so I reported to this wonderful woman who um, worked out of the California office. Mm. And then above her back in New York was the vice president of corporate communications. So because of the geography of it, I spent a lot of time working kind of directly with this woman who was the um, vice president of corporate communications in the big swanky office on, I forget what floor it was, right. but like what those big like offices. 25, right? I think it was yeah. 25 or something. It was this multi-million dollar floor I mean, marble. I mean, it was like walking yeah, it, into a yeah. It wasn't world. the it yeah. wasn't the like Bob Wright floor, but it was. Oh, somewhere oh it wasn't up okay. There. And oh, I can't. Okay. I don't remember. Like, I can't remember exactly where it was. But oh, okay. in any event, um, so there were two big things that we would that we were tasked with. One was revamping the NBC tour. They wanted a complete update and overhaul, and that was a big project. And it wasn't just yeah. like me. It was you know other people that were brought in to kind of help the vision, but I was sort of supervising that endeavor. And then also revamping the the page program itself because in past years, and Mary Rothschild would be a better person to ask about this because I don't remember the timeline, but in the past, there the page program was like a temp agency, right? So if somebody needed a page in the mailroom, they could call down and a page would be sent up in the, to do whatever it was in the mailroom. If they needed somebody as a receptionist in the sales department, that person would go up there for a day. And they, the feeling was that they really didn't want this to go on the way that it always had. They wanted the program to have more meaning and be more of a developmental program for the young people that were participating in it. Okay. So um, lots of things were changed about it. Departments could no longer just call us up and say, hey, I want a page. The assignments were now made more formalized. Departments had to present what the page would do. And then decisions would be made as to what departments might or might not have the opportunity to have pages come and work with them. Um, so that was a big shift in that um, the pages now would have some autonomy over what they would be doing and they would have to compete for the various assignments. So, you know, everybody wanted to work either at SNL or at late night or on one of the other shows that were happening, but there were also assignments and you probably remember them better than I do, you know, in the programming department, in the sports department, in local news and like wherever they right. were. Right. right. And after your three months of doing tours and working on shows, you would have the opportunity to, compete for one of these assignments. And then you would interview with the people in those departments and um, they would select who they wanted for however long it lasted. I feel like it was three months. It maybe. was three months. Yeah, it was three yeah. months. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was one of the major changes that we made to the program during the time that I was there. Mm. Uh, and it was a little tricky because there were some people who might call up and say, Hey, I remember this one incident where somebody called up, like somebody high up the food chain called up and wanted pages to check coats at this big event that was happening. I was like, I don't think that's a thing we do anymore. And it became like a big thing, right? 
thing where I had to like ask the vice president, is this something that we do? Like, are we allowed? Right. Like, I, am I going to get in trouble because I let the pages do it? Am I going to get in trouble because right. I didn't let the pages do it? Right. It was those sorts of politics that were um, hard for me personally, just because, as I said, I came from my little universe right. and now it was dealing with this huge corporation dealing with all these different departments um, and everything that came along with that. So it was a, that, that job was a real learning experience for me and taught me, you know what, I'm much better suited to work in a smaller environment, um, which is, which is what it was at Letterman, you know? So I kind of went, I spent that time learning how a big corporate environment worked and then right. making the decision, you know what, I'm, I'm much better suited to working in, 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 I'm, I don't want to say bigger fish in a smaller pond because yeah, I never yeah. felt like a big fish, but I liked the smaller pond. Yeah. Well, it's funny because, you know, from, from me looking in, um, I look at you had done an excellent, you know, to me and I'm, you know, you did an excellent job running it because I didn't even notice any hesitation or anything, you know, anything about what you just said, like, to me, you looked like you had a firm grasp on the department. You always ran it, you know, professionally. It was always, you know, you always had, you know, like you always answer, you know, you always, you didn't hem and haw. You just, this is what we're doing. And it was, it was perfect. So, so, so kudos to you. Cause you, you, you fooled me, I don't know, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, no, it was really, I it was perfect, you know? Yeah. I, 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 I loved working with the pages. I loved that part of it. I loved the people that worked you know within the department everybody was great um there was a real sense for so many people that worked there who, who had been pages of such loyalty to the program and to the ideal of what pages were right. right um it was none of that and i learned pretty quickly how to do the job and how to be successful at it and i never thought i wasn't good at it i mean mm -hmm. i don't want to say it was like i was fantastic mm -hmm. at it i mean i think it was uh, it was fine um, but just personally for me, you know, when you're in a job and you think, uh, I didn't even think about it really until after the fact, when I had the opportunity to go and do something else that I realized I'm much more comfortable in this smaller yeah. environment. And that's really where I spent the rest of my career in environments like that. So, yeah. um, that was just a personal observation that if anyone who's listening to this and is thinking about a career in the future, you know, in the entertainment business, there's so much out there and so many different things you can do in so many different capacities, but you have to find the, the niche that's right for you. Um, and I did that, even though the jobs I had all along were very different, you know, yeah. um, I had very different kinds of played very different kinds of roles in different uh, capacities in all these different places that I worked, but um, I liked being in a smaller environment and, and I didn't even realize that until after the fact. Yeah, no. But thank I, you. It's nice to know that somebody thought I knew what I was doing. Oh, it was amazing. No, it was perfect. And and even being in the, you know, when I left a page, you know, I got to to work on sort of, and I'll call them like startups. So when I was a page and left the program, I was called into, you know, I was asked by the by the general manager of WNBC Television at the time. Literally, she you know called me into her office and, "What do you want to do with your?" It was right out of a movie. "What do you want to do with your life?" She was sitting up with her feet up, up up on the desk. She said, we're starting a new department for WNBC Creative Services. I want you to be in it. And, so, you know, what was cool is that there, there was no rule book 
for WNBC at that time because a new guy was coming in and he was going to rewrite the rule book. So I didn't have to follow what other people did. We were starting from scratch. And then, you know, at other, like I worked for Madison Square or for Cablevision, which they started a new set of channels. Again, because it was brand new, you know, I was sort of like the big, you know, a big fish in a small pond because there was nothing, nothing existed. So I kind of myself like when I actually like startups, you know, startups, mm. you know, or things that don't really have a set of rules because it's like, let's start from scratch and let's fix what has gone wrong in the past. And we, you know, we don't have to just continue to do the, the wrong same thing over and over again, you know? So in my eyes, again, the tour, even the, the stops, you know, and again, I, and it was funny because when I left, I don't know if you remember remember this, but when we left, they were trying to revamp the tour again. And I remember I was trying to contribute some things, and I guess I had left before then, but but it, it nothing really happened. But I was so the thing that bothered me the most was that like when Mini Control and for the listeners, Mini I don't I'm assuming Mini Control exists at the to this to this day. I don't have no idea. But for the listeners, there was a thing called Mini Control, and Mini Control was a miniature television studio slash you know theater and they get the audience would or the the tour guests 17 guests we had i believe would come into the um i think it was 17 would come into the audience and and the pages would sit at this control board a control room little bit control room and they would greet greet the folks and then with one we would select someone to do the weather we would have like a little tonight show desk set up and they would pretend they were johnny carson the problem that I felt was that depending on who was giving the tour at that time, you could either some pages literally like, hey, thanks for coming to the tour. And it was great seeing you. Good night. And they wouldn't even do anything. And it literally I mean, it, 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 it just got me so frustrated because I took everything so seriously. I wanted to make a, a consistent, you know, something where they were forced to, like, follow the rules. You know, you're going to do the weather you're going to do Johnny you're going to do this this and this but um but any case that's a whole other other story but it but it is interesting so I don't know if to to this day if that room still exists it probably probably doesn't I have no idea I gotta and I was trying to take it was funny the tour when I I wanted to go take it maybe a year or two ago and I think it was like 22 dollars or so it was some it was like 20 some odd dollars maybe 27 dollars and I think when we did it, it was seven dollars. I'm like, what are they for twenty seven dollars? What for a family of four? You know, it could get really expensive. So in any case, so so it, so here it is. You're running the you know you're, you're the director of the department. Um, so are there any interesting stories, uh, which I'm sure there must be, of just anything that pops into your head? I mean, I, re I remember we used to you know do Sign It Live. We used to have all these different um, you know all the different assignments, and we'd have pay you know. Pages would sleep, sleep there over like we again, for those listening, we would go, like for Saturday Night Live, the show would happen and we would then go, we would then, you know, go to the party or finish the show, go out at night. And then the pages would come back to 30 Rock and literally sleep on the floor at like two in the morning, three in the morning. So if you went in the lounge at five in the morning, you'd see the whole place with pages and then the pages would wake up, they'd take a shower because we had showers, and then they'd give tours. So you know, I think I, I'm assuming you knew about that. You you had well, to no wonder that. people are skipping mini control <laughs> on a Sunday morning. 
They were out until four thirty. Right. I mean, you did. You, you. I'm assuming you must have known about well, the people, right? Because you had you had to have seen bodies all over the place. But well, I guess, it's, I well, I I must say I don't think I was ever there at five o'clock in the morning on Sunday morning. But I will tell you this: I I there somebody um, posted on the page Facebook. There's a page Facebook group, right? Mm -hmm. Which you right, right. you participate in. Um, they found video that they shot of things that were happening in the department, just random things. So I click on and there I am, okay, in my with my big 80s hair and my shoulder pads and my sounding like Melanie Griffith in Working Girl, right, talking to pages about keys that do you have a key? Look, do you need to be here after two in the morning on Saturday night? because security is going to lock the doors. And I don't remember why they were going to lock the doors. I don't remember what the context of this was. I didn't remember this at all until right. I saw it. But wow. um, but it was probably for that purpose that, that on a Saturday night, if after SNL was over, people either went out or they had to come back, they had to get their clothes, they had to do whatever, the doors were going to be locked. So do you need a key? That's funny. And wow. so- so I assume that we must have known that pages came back and stayed there. Maybe they didn't want to go home because they didn't want to commute to wherever they lived in the middle of the night and they had to work right. the next day. I don't remember, David, what that's that funny. was. Because, yeah, at, at some point, I mean, it doesn't surprise me. No, that's hilarious. And it's funny because as I um, next time, I, you know, when we, as, as I talk to pages, I'm going to get their account of this. But at some point the because now that i'm thinking about it, there was a door when you came out of the elevator there was a main door like to go into a hallway and i think there was a second door to go into the actual lounge and at some point those doors like i said for the most part were were I, I, they always were just were left open or at least i've never had it ever had an issue going in there because i would always i you know there were times when i'd sleep there um i'd sleep there even when I got a job for WNBC, um, I would go down to the lounge, and it was also it's weird because it it the the whole lounge and and the group really felt like a family. Where even when Pages got a job at Thirty Rock, I used to you know, and I remember I remember talking to Mary a lot. I was, but I'd be working at WNBC, and I'd come down to the you know, it's like leaving home. It's like I didn't want to leave too too quickly so like probably every could have been every day or every other day i'd come back to the page lounge to bitch and moan about something and i'd always come back and i'd see you and i'd see mary and and pages just hanging out so it felt you know it's like it's like leaving a boarding house or something you know you, you leave but it was so comfortable that you'd want to come back mm -hmm. to just sort of talk about you know what's you know what what's going on um in, in that yeah, department it was, it was so it was amazing your, it was your safe space it was where right. you know it, it's it's akin to a college experience right and and yet so unique because it was rarefied air it was very hard back then to become a page and it's a thousand times harder now right but um but you i i, I hope that that the majority of the young people that went through that program understood how um, lucky they were to have been there and to have had that experience and the opportunity to figure out their place in a world that was not easy to break into. Right. You know, so um, that was one way in the door for lots of people who 
either found their way or decided, you know what, this really is not for me. And that's okay too. Right. But it, it really, it was, it was um, a wonderful experience. And I hope, and I assume that it continues to be so for those that go through the program now. Right. And let's talk about that. Even so my understanding when I, when I was a page, I think I forget exactly what the language was, but I think it was it was like it's harder to become a page than to get into Stanford or something. I don't know. There was some weird like it's so hard to get into this program. You know, it was easy to get into Harvard or some right, crazy right. thing. And and I guess I guess um which again, which is why I took it so seriously. I mean, I I was so you know I took everything so seriously. But um, my understanding that today, if you wanted to become a page, um, I heard that it might have changed. Like there's like a panel or something. I don't. Know. Did you hear? Well, there like was a panel along the way while I was there. I don't remember what I I can't remember when this started, but the interview process became first. Um, Human resources would screen all of the resumes that came in. And they may, I don't remember if they interviewed people prior to us meeting them, mm -hmm. but then they would send applicants to us. And then between, I guess all of us must have interviewed. I don't, I know Mary did. I know I did. I'm assuming Kathy must have. I, I don't remember. You would have to ask them. But I think all of us interviewed candidates. And then we would, I feel like we got together and talked about people, about who we would want to bring back for the group interview, because after that, there was a group interview. And during this group interview, there would be like five candidates, and it would be a couple of us from guest relations, and then people from different departments. So you could have somebody from business affairs, or somebody from sports, or somebody from some other department who would come and sit on this panel and ask questions of the candidates. And I remember people would ask questions that I would think to myself, I couldn't answer this question. Like you expect these kids to know, like, <laughs> like, okay, here's right. an example. Here's one that I actually remember. So what do you think about the upcoming changes in the financial interest and syndication rules? <laughs> I remember thinking, I'd be like, check, please. Okay. I guess this isn't how <laughs> would they, know? I mean, first of all, back then there was no internet. So, right. The expectation was that you would have done some homework on NBC. You would have watched the network. You would know who the news people were, right? You would might you might you would have done some sort of research, but you couldn't just Google financial interest and syndication rules. Like, how would you even know what that was? Right. So I remember when those kinds of questions would come come up. Whoever the first person was that had to answer it. I felt so badly for because they would try to make up some nonsense that made some sense. And by the fifth person, that person could cobble together an answer from what everybody else said. Right. That was either still completely wrong because what do you know about financial right. interest and syndication rules? Or they could make some sense of what it was. And Even what the question so, meant. You know, they, they were like, okay, I, I have no idea what it means, but after hearing right. five answers, I, that's right. I I'm going to put something together. Right. And um, then from that group, like we were only supposed to pick two or three, like we oh. couldn't pick everybody. Wow. So um, it, it became a much more involved process, even when I was there. And the last wow. I heard about how it is now, um, because somebody that, I feel like somebody at, I worked at a theater company after Letterman went off the air called Roundabout Theater Company. It's a wonderful not-for-profit. And I was their director of human resources. Um, and I feel like somebody there knew somehow that I had worked, at, you know, in guest relations a thousand years ago and was applying to be a page. I might've been one of our interns or something. And 
asked me about it and and what did I know because it's now 30 years later but they told me that now there's a presentation that you have to do it's like a one minute presentation about yourself that you have to do in front of whoever the people are that make these decisions now Mm -hmm. um and some people become it becomes very elaborate with props and you know maybe there's a video component I don't know but it sounded very intimidating and and now with with the ability for people to apply for jobs online, I would imagine even more competitive. And after all of the um, exposure that the program got through 30 Rock, probably right. a thousand times more competitive than right. it was even back then. And it's funny, and, and I, even with 30 Rock, I didn't, I really never watched the show at all just from seeing it. But I remember it really, you know, being a page, it was, it really, you know, Kenny the Page, which which we have our own Kenny the Page, um it was amazing you know we we walked the building had access to anything we wanted um we we you know you you guys could give us assignments or we would work with different folks and 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 be in different places and it it really was and like i said i wasn't even i don't really watch the show but from the clips that i've seen you know you're a page and you're put in these situations like with famous celebrities or or whatever and you know it's like it's like it could, you know i said even alec baldwin alec baldwin the pages from being from working snl i mean we saw him all the time like he was he just he was like in the building all the time so you'd walk on the eighth floor or whatever and he, you'd see him at the show or you'd see him at the cast party um so that whole experience was just so surreal and it was just it was so amazing i it, it like i said i'm it 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 was the best job I've ever had, and I and I and I know even talking to the pages that that you know took it seriously, it was their best job. I mean, it was such a great 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 experience. Um, so I guess so I guess from the pages, and again, you only stayed there four years, which again, you probably left not too long after I left. Then you somehow got to work for a guy named David Letterman. <laughs> for 20 for what do you say 22 years 22 years the whole run years. of the show at cbs which is amazing so um and it was so funny well i remember when letterman went off this totally a side note but I, like when letterman's cbs studio when they went off the air um they literally trashed his set i don't even know if you know this they there was big dumpsters outside of I was cbs there. oh you I were I, I went dumpster diving i literally i have pieces of his set I, I threw some of, of them out. <laughs> I have a piece of his set. So, uh, and it's really funny because um, when Letterman went off at WNBC, I mean, at uh, NBC, I, on his last day, I w- when he was off, I went into his studio and I, it was funny. And this I have somewhere. I went behind his desk and the cityscape, there was like a city building. Mm-hmm. Um, I went in, I actually crawled back there and there was a window washer like just strapped to one of the windows like cleaning my... so I have the little man <laughs> from his windows literally in my apartment somewhere because they were going to trash the whole set and and with CBS yeah. they did they literally just broke they it apart did. and threw into a dumpster so yeah so tell me uh so I'm glad that I saved it I also have believe it or not I have the the last cue card that Letterman read on the air so it says with our last 10 minutes left Blah, 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 blah. And I posted it on our Facebook uh, page, mm-hmm. which is, and again, you know, this stuff would have wound in the trash. So I'm glad yeah. that I saved it. But yeah. so tell me what it was like. Like, how did you get the job for, let you know, for Letterman? 
And then what, just what was that experience like? Cause I'm sure people like you've led such like the coolest life. Like how the hell did that happen? So when I left NBC, I, through my job in guest relations, I had gotten to know the people at Letterman. And so I was work, I was back working in rate in radio for a radio syndication company, sort of as a, like a, a holding place job. It was a friend of mine worked there. She needed some help. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And so I did that as a temporary thing, which is always a good thing to do because it gave me some experience in doing something I kind of hadn't done before. And um, it, it still gave me the opportunity to keep looking, right? Because I was in the city every day. Um, and I, Kathy, well, Kathy D'Elia, one of the people that worked um, in guest relations, I had sent her uh, a greeting card. If I'm remembering this correctly, because again, it's 30 something years ago. <laughs> And in it, I put something like, if you know, if you ever want to reach out or say hello, here's my number, or here's where I am, or whatever it was. And um, for some reason, Dave's assistant was was looking for me, and I think called down to guest relations and said, "Does anybody know where she is?" Because back then, remember, no internet, no cell right. phone. Like there was, you know, like there was Nothing. none of, there was no way to get in touch with somebody. Well, right. Isn't that funny? It's, it's true. Nowadays, people have these phones. What do you, what do you mean it's so difficult? It's like, no, right. if you don't it's have the they, number, you right. literally you, can't right. Google it. You right. Can't look, right. You know. They didn't know where I was. They didn't know yeah. what I was. Anyway. So that's how she got in touch with me. That's how Dave's assistant got in touch with me because she must've called Kathy and said, hey, does anybody know where she is? And oh yeah, she, she sent me a card. Was that Lori Diamond? That was Lori Diamond? Yeah, it was Lori. Okay. So Lori calls me, um, you know, just to like say hello and, you know, we miss you and what's happening. And I said to her, what are you going to do about your audiences when you go to CVS? Because the way it worked at NBC, and I believe it may still work this way now, um, I don't know for sure, was that guest relations were the people that sent out the tickets for all of the shows that were produced in the building, right? Yeah. So each show would pay guest relations a fee to um, to handle the ticketing and the ushering for their shows. Interesting, um, yeah, okay. Yeah, so the, and this was all like internal accounting, like right, there were different right. codes and the show would pay a certain amount and whatever it was, right? And um, the people at um, Letterman, didn't have a lot of like at any of the shows didn't have a lot of control over who sat in their audiences it was just done through guest relations mm. so um i wasn't sure how they were going to handle it when they got to cbs to cbs even have a guest relations department would they want to use their guest relations department i didn't know and so i said to her well what are you going to do about your audiences when you get to cbs and she said i'm not sure talk to one of the producers one of the people who was in charge who i knew so got in touch with her and she said you know we're not sure what's your idea. And right. I said, well, why don't I come in because and, and be your audience person? You'll have control over the, you know, how the tickets are sent out and the, what the process is. And it will probably save money because you wouldn't have to pay whatever the network fees were. Oh, and wow. so they liked that idea. So that's how I started there as their audience coordinator. And I set up, there was a computer system that we had to set up that was very kind of rudimentary, I suppose, by today's standards. And we had some IT guy come from CBS and helped us set up this computer system to wow. be able to input addresses and generate labels and mail tickets to people. And so I started that whole audience function for them. And after three years of that, um, the interesting thing about Dave's uh, show at CBS was that he owns that production. You know, wow. Jimmy Fallon, 
does not own the tonight show nbc does right, right. Um, but when dave went from nbc to cbs one of the caveats was i want to own my own material right. because nbc if you remember was giving him a hard time about taking some of the intellectual property with him right so dave owned the show but then that meant that the people that worked on the show were his employees were the employees of worldwide pants not of cbs so right. there was a responsibility um, for the business side of his organization to, you know, have structures in place for these employees. And they did not have someone who did anything that was remotely related to human resources. And wow. it was becoming, it was getting to the point where it was like, well, somebody over here is handling the benefits and somebody over here is trying to do a 401k plan and somebody over here is doing, hiring the interns. And so they came to me. Um, I was actually pregnant with my first child who's now 27 and getting married in two weeks um, and said to me, uh, do you think you can do this? They knew I had management experience. They knew I had run a big department with, um, you know, doing the guest relations job. Do you want to try this? And, and the audience job was a lot of fun, but it was a lot of hours. It was a lot of running around. I was about to have a baby. And I thought, you know what, this might be a good thing for me to try. So I did that job for 19 years. As wow. I, and I, you know, my titles got better as the years went on. But I really loved that. Like I, I, I really loved the the HR part of it, working in a place like that, because a I got to mold what it was. Um, right. Again, and starting from scratch, you're, you're literally making nothing. it correct. Right. I came back from maternity leave to a pile of stuff on my desk. Like here's all the stuff, right. you know. And um, my favorite part of that job really was was the internship program. Was you know recruiting them, hiring them, working with them watching them grow you know there are so many of them i'm still in touch with that have gone on and done wonderful things and that was really really satisfying um and then that job when the show went off the air led me to the job i got at roundabout um because somebody who there was a, a woman who worked on our show who booked all of the broadway and when i saw the roundabout job posted i reached out to her and said you know, do you know anything about Roundabout? Like, I really didn't know a lot about them other than I knew they were a theater company. Is it a good place to work? What are the people like? And she said, oh, I'm friends with their publicist. Let me get in touch with him. And she did, which I didn't even, I didn't know what happened because she said, oh yeah, I'll get in touch with him. And then I didn't hear back from her for a couple of weeks. And I thought, I guess maybe the job is filled or what, you know, whatever. And then a recruiter got in touch with me on LinkedIn and said, the roundabout people are looking for you. Are you interested in this job? <laughs> we need to and put was, like a tracker on you. So you can I, I, it was because Jenny, our um, the talent coordinator, had reached out to this publicist and written him a lovely note about me and he passed it on to the people at Roundabout. So mm. the lesson for all of the young people is, uh, you know, always make sure that whatever you do, wherever you work, whatever job you have, and David, I know you know this because you have done this, that you make the best impression that you can on every single person that you encounter because you never know how that's going to come around, you know, sometimes years later, um, how that can help you um, and how it can propel you into the next thing that you're going to do. So um, so I did that job for the last, for the last, you know, through the pandemic and decided towards the end of the pandemic that, you know, I wanted to try something new, which was not do anything. So that's, right, right. that's where I am. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was, I, I had a lot of fun in all the different jobs that I had. And um, I well, was very go, lucky. Well, let's go. Cause I wanted to, um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about roundabout. We'll just go back to Letterman for a second. So, uh, cause people may find some of that interesting. So in the theater, um, 
did you know i guess you had an office in um the the uh, ed sullivan theater yeah there you were offices we were all in one location so the theater was sort of off to the side and then there were elevator stacks that brought you up and down to the different floors within the theater building so the dressing oh. rooms the makeup rooms like all the costumes like everything was in that stack and oh. then there was a way to go either underground to the offices like you could oh. you would go down through this hallway and up these steps into the office lobby um and uh uh, there was also a freight elevator that you could take from the from the basement all the way up into the offices, or you could just walk down the street. Like you would come out the side door, at the stage door, and walk. I don't know, not right. even a quarter of the block, and go in the the office doors. So we all had offices um, in the Ed Sullivan Theater building, and there were like four or five floors that were dedicated to um, the show and to the business offices. Wow! So and that's wasn't... still how it is. Like now with Colbert, it's the same setup. And so, so even the the um, the CBS broadcast center on Fifty Seventh, you guys really had nothing to do with that building. You you were all self contained in the Ed Sullivan Theater, right? Basically. Except that they had to get like at the very beginning, they had to get the tapes to the broadcast center every night. Like somebody would have oh. to physically run them over there oh, until it all became digital. So. Um, so once so, they yeah, once was, they shot the show, they brought them to the broadcast center. Yeah, like they would edit everything and then bring them over um, to the. Somebody had to do that. So wow. actually, which, let me. I'll just I'll talk about it because because again, even as young Tyke, I mean, again, from being a little guy, um, you know, walking around NBC and probably through one of my page assignments or who knows, but I remember they would give us tapes in these, I guess, blue plastic uh cases you know these very hard ca you know cases and i look at the side of the case and it could say like cosby or it could see you know like you're looking at this master tape and it it had like cheers you know whatever it was and it's it was almost like it just seemed like i'm literally holding the episode that might air on television and it's funny that that here they shot the show in you know that space and then went over to the broadcast center to physically, and I, as a, you know, because I actually worked for CBS for a year uh, and, and at WNBC with promos and such. So I would always go into master control. And again, it's like, you know, the NASA space, you know, station thing, you know, you, you're going in and there's all the screens and the equipment. And it's just amazing to have those, you know, to me, again, it's like I, you're handing them those tapes and it's like, here's tonight's episode, you know, I'm, you have it, I'm leaving it, have a nice day. <laughs> Um, so it is really fascinating. So was any other, you know, was Dave, um, and again, you know, it was, we got such a kick of seeing him at 30 rock, you know, we would occasionally see him, you know, walking around the hallway, uh, when the show went live, I remember again, a moment of my life, you know, again, when, when, when I was scheduled to work for Letterman and I was a big fan, I used to watch with my brother all the time, you know, back when, you know, it was like, Hey, you want to stay up mm -hmm. to watch Letterman tonight? Mm -hmm. And when I was assigned to work that show and they, it's almost going to be tears to my eye. Like when they said, you know, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, uh, I guess Bill Wendell came out and did a warm up, who's the announcer. And then, then, they, then they'd say, you know, Dave would come out like 30 seconds prior to just say hello to the audience. And I guess he had his makeup napkins tucked in mm -hmm. sometimes, mm -hmm. but he, he, and he just, he really didn't answer any much. But then when, man, when that band, started the the theme i could have just died i mean it was like to be in that studio to hear 
the actual band playing for the actual show that will be live tonight. Um, and, and, and again, for those listening, the show taped at 5.30, I guess, and it went live at, at uh, 12.30. So it was just mind-blowing. So um, was there anything, you know, like, were you there when they taped the shows? Did they, you know, did you go home by the time or did you watch every single show? Like, what was that like? I was there. Well, at, over the years, the taping schedule changed a little bit. Hmm. But most of the time when I was in the audience job, I was there. And even in the HR job, I would be there um, for most of the tapings. And interestingly, they used to use staffers as actors all the time oh, okay. for bits on the show. And so, you know, it was it's it's very funny because I would be sitting in my office, like working on somebody's insurance enrollment and the <laughs> phone would ring and it would be the writer's segment producer. And she would say, Janice, do you have time this afternoon? We need you to be, can you, can you be in this bit? Can you come down at, you know, can you go to makeup at three o'clock? And do you have time oh for that? And um, I would say, sure. Um, oh, wow. And sometimes I usually played somebody's wife. Um, and sometimes these were things that were pre-taped. So you would go down, they would take them. Sometimes they'd never see the light of day. Mm. Um, but other times they were things that were live on the show, which was, which could be a little scary, particularly oh, yeah. if you're not an actor. Right. Um, but I have, you know, the, there was a time when I was supposed to be somebody's wife and all I had to do was stand up next to him. It was some sort of audience piece. So Dave calls on somebody in the audience and we stand up and oh. the, whoever was my husband had the line and I didn't have a line. I just was supposed to stand up next to him. So outside I'm waiting for the queue and Regis Philbin was on the show that night and he was going to be doing something right after the bit that I was in. So he and I get into a conversation and he says, so what are you doing? What are you doing on the show? And I said, oh, I'm just an extra. I'm going to stand up. He was like, no, no, you got to say something. You get more money if you say something. Oh I was God. like, I know, but I don't have a line. They didn't give me a line this time. I'm like, I don't have anything <laughs> to say. You got to get a line. You got to say something. Like, okay. All right, Regis. Okay. And uh, so I go in, I do the thing. And Dave says, oh, and who is this to his, to the husband? Right. And he says, oh, this is my wife. Oh, what's your name? So I made up some names. So now I have a line, right? Oh, that's funny. And so as we are exiting, Regis is entering and he, he points at me and he goes, you got your line. Good for you. Wow. And he was so nice, you wow. know, but those were the kinds of things that would happen that like, where else am I going to work right. where one minute. Here I am in a meeting with, you know, yep. our person who's going to be dealing with our 401k plan. And the next minute, you know, I'm backstage in a beret and Harrison Ford says, nice hat, because I was in a bit where I was Anton's wife. He was the drummer in the band. And we were all, me and his children were hiding behind the drum kit. And I can't remember what the bit was, but at some point we stand up and we all have matching berets on. Wow. And we go backstage. I have to go backstage because they always wanted you to stay in case they needed you, which they never did, but in case right. they needed you again. Right. So I'm sitting there with my little beret on and Harrison Ford was on the show that night and he came down the stairs and he had just seen the bit. So he just looked at me and he went, nice hat. And wow. was like, thumbs up. Thank you. Um, but those were the kinds of really fun things that would happen Um by virtue of working in a place like that. It's, you know, it's funny because, and, and this actually, we could talk about, you know, working in entertainment or doing what you, what you're passionate about. Um, because 
you know, working in the building, you know, you know, that joke where the guy's shoveling, you know, elephant poop and, you know, but I'm working in show business. Right. You know? And, you know, in a way, being a page or in your, you know, working, you know, and for Letterman and doing these bits, I mean, you know, when I look back at my life, you know, the just to be a part of those situations where they're literally once in a lifetime situations and, and, you know, having Harrison Ford say something to you or, or interacting with these celebrities or such. It's one of those things where, you know, you're only on this planet once and, you know, for people that, that truly are passionate about, uh, you know, being in entertainment or, or anything, they, you know, if, if they, they really should follow their dreams because, you know, you could go to work and, and just be working in an insurance company all day long and just hating your life and you're miserable or quite frankly, and of course, as you get older, it's really more important, in my opinion, now to really love what you do on a daily basis, even if you're not getting paid a million dollars, because those moments are like priceless. And I talk about, you know, it's funny, I talk about being a page and 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 doing things, you know, so much happened in that in that two, you know, 18 months, which we had to do stuff but I'm still talking about it. And if I had just gotten a job, you know, nine to five working, whatever, um, my life would be different or I wouldn't have so much passion or, or excitement, you know, in doing those things. So I guess with all of your experience in HR, working with people, you know, is there any advice that you can give to anyone that's either thinking about getting into entertainment or, or anything else or, tips that you've seen with with you know folks coming in and maybe not being as good as you thought they would be and maybe suggestions that they can do you know you is there anything you maybe share with the listeners to to just help them follow their passion and succeed yeah it's working in show business is ever evolving right as you know the business is changing year to year to year um you have to find something to do that is marketable. Um, you have to find something to do. If you want to work in, in the entertainment world, you really have to love it because it's not easy. I feel like I was very lucky. I didn't have any connections when I was young. I, you know, my dad was a fireman. You know, my mom worked part-time. I, I stumbled into these internships. Internships are huge, huge. And, um, you know, now back then nobody got paid to be an intern and I didn't care. Like, we didn't have a lot of money as a family, but I didn't care. I was getting credit to work at this radio station. It was amazing, right. you know, um, and it was a great opportunity. And you have to take every opportunity that you get and make the most of it. It doesn't matter if the job is boring that you're doing. You are in a place where you can read stuff. You can listen to stuff. You can be around whatever is happening and you can figure out, hey, is this for me or not? And you want to make the best impressions on everybody that you possibly can. Because at the end of the day, it's all about your reputation. Your reputation is everything. And if you are if you are the person who is the hardest working, if you are the person who is the the nicest to be around, um, you know, there's there's Tina Fey in her book, you know, there's some it, it, there's some quote that she has about, you know, I, if I have to stand next to somebody at a copy machine at three o'clock in the morning, I want I want that person to be someone who's going to be pleasant and nice, right? And so you want to be that person. You want to be the one that people want to work with. You don't, 
I don't think you have to be the smartest, right? right? You don't have to go to the best Ivy League school. I mean, for some people, that's an advantage. But in my experience, I mean, we we hired a lot of kids who went to community college and state schools. And those kids were the scrappiest, hardest working yeah. because they had to be because they they nothing was ever handed to them. They 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 worked really hard to get whatever opportunities they had. And they made the most of those opportunities, not to say that anybody who doesn't go to an Ivy League school isn't hardworking because they right. certainly are to get there. Right. But there's a there's there should be opportunity for everybody is my point. And right. once you have that opportunity, make the most of it, make absolutely the most of it, because that will lead you to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, particularly if you're on the production side. Look, nobody gets to go work on a show that lasts for 22 years. Right. So everybody is constantly looking for the next gig. And you want somebody to hire you for that next gig. And how are you going to get hired? You know, somebody has to look at you and say, hey, this person did a good job. I'm going to hire them for my next project. And you always want to be that person with the the good attitude who is um, willing to do whatever, you know, is reasonable um, and whatever it takes to get the job done uh, and to make sure that you're making that good impression. No, it's great advice. And again, you know, I was so grateful for being, you know, for, for being allowed, really allowed to be a page that I, you know, um, I tried, hopefully, hopefully, like I guess it made, made you proud. I don't know, but I would, I would literally, I mean, if you said to me, David, I need you to go clean, literally clean the toilets. I'd be like, where's the brush? Like I never in my rock, like, you know, unless, but I, I, you know, and it was funny because I remember you sometimes you, you or, or Kathy, you know, would want us to give tours like there's always there was always extra tours to be given and what you know again from being a page for those listening you know we're really hired to give the tours i mean that's what we're sort of hired for everything else is you know your you know to network and to to meet people and to to sort of get a job so um so you would always someone would always walk into the lounge and be like we need someone to give a tour for whatever and everybody would like look up in this, you know, you know, this. And I literally would always volunteer. And the reason I said to myself, they're going to pick somebody. So if they if I look away and they pick me, I'm not going to get credit for it because you're going to be like, well, I asked and nobody volunteered. I picked you. So you got to do it anyway. So I would always just volunteer because at least I'm going to do it. And at least you'll be like, hey, David volunteered to do it. So, you know, we appreciate you, you doing that. And I will say that, that, um, again, you and everybody else that was very, you know, gracious and kind that I, and I'm sure because you would, I was given certain, uh, tasks. I remember we worked a, a Bob Wright party. I have a picture of me and Bob Wright and a bunch of other pages. We worked some event. So, you know, to sort of what you said, you know, when they have a Bob Wright event with all the executives in it. Um, you probably look at your list and you say, well, we, it's Bob Wright. You know, we need to pick, you know, 15 pages to go work this event. You don't look at the, you don't say, well, let's pick the, you know, quote, worst pay. You know, you say, we want to look for the guys that really mm -hmm. care and they're going to do a good job. Mm -hmm. So, so I was always grateful for it. And, and again, it was so, um, you know, uh, it, it really is that, that way. Um, because I think, and unfortunately a lot of the younger folks today, you know, they complain that they, and I get the whole money thing and this and that, but they're like, you know, we're not going to do it unless we get paid and all this other stuff. I think I had like 12 internships before, you know, that were all non-paid. I worked at everything I could. Um, 
just for these opportunities. And again, when you're in the building to be around and listen and just, you know, all the advice you've given us today, like for those that are trying to start hearing that, that advice and taking it seriously literally could mean the difference between them succeeding and not succeeding. Yeah. So I think it's very, it's very helpful to know that you just, you know, and actually it's funny. I remember when I was in school, do you remember Spencer for hire? Do you remember yes. Spencer for yeah. hire? So they did it in Boston and I would, I went around the set, you know, watching them shoot and blah, blah, blah. And I remember I tried to work on that show as well. And of course it was unpaid. And I remember, and actually it's funny working on, talk about what you just said before, working on that show because it was shot on film. I remember we shot a scene. It was like a thousand hours doing mm -hmm. the same thing over and over again. I remember it was raining out and we were in a warehouse. And I literally at that point, exactly what you just said. I literally said, I don't want to work in film because mm -hmm. I'm going to kill myself because it, it's taking forever to shoot one scene mm -hmm. that has actually helped me literally determine that I want to work in TV because you shoot it, it's done, you're finished. So fast forward to the end of that little couple of days that I worked and some guy literally said, um, I want that guy to be to get paid. And he, he, he was the, you know, whatever set guy, you know, director or whatever he, he, they paid me for the day. And then fast forward, I'm working at WNBC and some guy shows up to write promos. And it was that guy that I had worked that paid me in Boston. And I'm having a party next week for the launch of my television series in New York. I invited him. To, I, we still talk and he's coming to the party. That was over 30 years ago. I know. This is my point. Dave. It's Have... like, so yeah, yeah, no. So you're like. You're spot on. It's it's amazing. It's it all comes around when I when um when Letterman went off the air. I had here's the other important thing: networking. And I don't mean networking with like a little card on your you know a little pasty card on your on your chest that says hi, my name is David. You know, like that. Right. That's that's valuable in in some ways. But I uh when the show was ending, I started talking to people about gee, what could I do next? Right? What mm. would be a path for me? Um, getting advice from people that I admired. And one of the people that I went to talk to was my original boss from WNBC from all those years gone by, who now uh, he owned a, a company. He owned little TV stations all around um, the country. Oh, wow. And he said, you know, I, I, I don't need a full-time HR person, but I could use some help. And at the time I was sort of connected with this woman who ran an HR consulting company. And P.S. I ended up bringing him and his company to this woman and her company. And before I started at Roundabout, I worked, did some work for him and got to travel around to all these different TV stations and meet the people who work there. And again, this was, you know, I worked for him in 1984. Wow. And now we're talking about 2015. And all those years later, there was still, he was like, yes, you did a great job. And yeah, I would, I'm happy to, you know, like chat with you. And you want that, like that, that's the measure to me of success. It's, you might not be the person who makes millions and millions of dollars, but you have the respect of the people that you have worked for before that mm -hmm. you can, right, go back to those people. Mm -hmm. um, you can utilize people in your network and you can help them if there's a place where they might need right. some help. 
but that's it's the relationships that you develop over time and how you treat people on the way up and how you know you know on the way down way down and how you and it's it's all that and and you and i could probably sit here all day long and tell stories about how our various lives intersected and how other people helped us along the way and how maybe we did something for somebody else that helped them along the way too and that and that that's that's to me the measure of of success right no i think it's it's wonderful advice and again for those listening you know um really you know, and again, it's unfortunate because they don't, you know, with their, with their iPhones and, you know, just the way things work with electronics, but it's those relationships that, that, that it's not looking at your phone and it's literally saying to someone, you know, like, Hey, can I meet you for a cup of coffee? Like an actual meeting because meeting them in person probably would be the, like probably one of the only times that some, you know, young person might say, let's meet for a cup of coffee instead of just, let me send you my resume, you know? And it's like, well, why don't you like try to develop the relationship and try to, you know, see where it comes of, right. come, you know, what comes about from it. Um, but it really, one, yeah, it's very, it's very helpful. Yeah. One of the, one of the things that I always tell people when it comes to networking is you never want to say to somebody, oh, Hey, can you help me find a job? I once had someone right. who was the granddaughter of somebody that worked on the show who, you know, he said, oh, my granddaughter's going to call you. Okay. And so she calls me up. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm looking for work. I need your help finding a job. And I said, no, 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 that is not the way that you network. The way that what you're going to do is you're going to tell me, you know, what you've done, what you um, might want to do. How can I get there? You want to ask questions and you want to make an impression because right now I don't, I I don't have a job just like in my drawer waiting to hand to you. Right. You, but you want to make an impression on me so that a month from now, two months from now, three months from now, if something were to open, I could say, Oh, I remember meeting with that person and that person was terrific. And Oh, let me see if they're still available. Um, you know, and, uh, and that's the way to do it because you develop or you find out if say when I was networking, when I was, when the show was ending, I would talk to all these different people so that if I saw a job open in their organization months later, then I could reach out to that person because most people can't get you a job. They can't, they don't have the right. power to do that. Right? right. So, so that's not the point. The point is that you want to go ask them for advice. David, tell me about your career. Tell me how you got where you are. Tell me why you like what you do. What advice might you have for a person like me who's looking for whatever? And now I've planted this positive seed in your head about me as a person and a candidate. So three months from now, when a job opens up at your organization, I can say, David, I just saw posted this job in your organization. Do you, any advice on how I might apply for that job? And that's how you get in the door that way, because now that person has some um, ability to perhaps say, oh, my friend works in that department or, oh, send this to HR with a note that says you heard about it from me or do this other thing. Um, and that might help you get your foot in the door of whatever that organization is. So it's a slow burn. You have to build up right. these relationships over time. And um, it can be really helpful when the time comes that you actually see an opportunity in the organization where all these people that you've talked to are working. Right. Yeah. And, and especially having those conversations, you you if 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 uh, somebody was talking to you and you sort of explained to them your background and your passions and your work, you know, just you pick up things about people's work ethic and such that that, you know, you're, you're really laying those planting those seeds. So you, you, you as opposed to just, you know, if someone says to me, I'm looking for help me find a job, as you say, 
all I'm thinking of is you're lazy and you want me to hand you a job. And then once you get the job, you're going to literally do nothing, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. as opposed to someone who says I've been, you know, if they want to be a writer and I actually, well, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up soon. Um, like even the writer and we'll use Steve Corin as a, as mm -hmm. an example, this is a, this will be a good way to wrap up the HR, uh -huh. the networking, but Steve Corin was a page and, um, you know, we would, we would, uh, he was always telling me stories or jokes. And there were times when, you know, I would, we would, we would go out and like, you know, the pages would go out to bars all the time and we would always go home. I used to drive, we used to take a train, Steve and I to, uh, to Shea stadium. And I would drive him home because my car was there and I drive him home to Queens, but he was always telling me these, these jokes and, I'll be honest with you. I didn't really think that they were that funny. And I, you know, and I'd give him feedback. I'm like, I don't know if that's any, but he tried, he just, he didn't give up and he tried and he tried and he just kept on writing. And, um, you, you, you want to tell, tell the audience a little more about Steve's <laughs> oh, Steve, background? I, yes. I, that, I love that Steve Corrin. He, there were a lot of pages, right? 40 of you, 50 of you, however many there were. And a lot of pages when they would interview would say, oh, I want to be a writer. And it, great. And I would never hear about them writing anything ever again. And Steve Corrin, and he was, he was not like, he went, I think he went to Queens College, if I remember. And I don't yeah. know why I would remember that 35 yeah, years later. Yeah. But he wrote every day. Now, again, this is back before everybody had a computer in their house. He yep. would sit in that page lounge on that typewriter or that word processor or whatever it was at the time. Working, 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 writing, 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 constantly trying to improve his craft. He got himself the assignment at the SNL desk, right? He got himself a job as a researcher on SNL. And I remember him like coming to me and still he wasn't satisfied. Like, no, I have, to, I want to be a writer. I want to be a writer. And he worked and he worked and he worked until he got to that goal. And he's a shining example of somebody who, you know, God bless people who get to go to Harvard. That's great. But right. he didn't come from that background. He just worked and worked and worked harder than everybody else and had the talent. You have to be talented. You have to be right. a good writer. Right? right. But he worked so hard and I was so happy for him when he became successful because he really knew what he wanted. He had that tunnel right. vision. Right. Yep. And he had the drive to do it. And to, you know, I know a lot of people who are writers and it's, hard gig you know you're you're it's a lot of pressure when you're working on a comedy show like all the writers that worked on on our show um or if you're writing a film or whatever you're writing but you know you you have to have that passion for it and you have to have the ability to keep going in the face of whatever adversity you might be facing and he did it and and you know there are lots of other examples i could give of people that i knew along the way um who had that same quality that he had that he had that um that have become successful. Right. And, and we'll tell the audience. So, so, so this, you know, Steve Corin, again, you know, from, from, you know, telling me jokes that I was like, oh, but again, he didn't give up. He kept on doing it. I think he, at one point was the receptionist answering the phone. Yes. Yeah. SNL. But then he went on to, you know, write for SNL. Then he went on to write movies. So he did like a night at the Roxbury, mm -hmm. I think clicked. I mean, he did a ton of movies and then he also became a writer on a little show called Seinfeld. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, you know, again, it's, and I remember, you know, that, that tunnel vision, he, 
would be, you know, he would like say, he would say a joke if it wasn't good. Okay. What about this one? You know, like he just, it, 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 you know, he was determined to do it and, you know, God bless him because I'm, like I said, I always get a kick out of it because I'm so proud. And again, it brings tears, you know, it's like, I'm so proud of all of the pages that went on to do these amazing things because I'm so happy for them. I'm like, I'm like, I, and, and I, I think I mentioned once um, like Joe DiTullio who does the, the building of the sets for Saturday Night Live, you know, he was just a page. And then he now is part of the, 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 uh, the guys that build all the sets. And I personally find it so fascinating that, that I'm like, Oh my God, like he was a page and he's building the sets and he showed me, you know, he's, you know, like I'm so interested in the blueprints and how he builds it and they build them out in Brooklyn and blah, blah, blah. It's so fascinating. But again, he, I think, had the assignment. And again, I remember there was some turmoil in that department, but he just, you know, they they eliminated some positions and blah, blah, blah. But he just came in, kept on designing. And I think he used to show me models, talk about being persistent. He used to build these little models and they're not easy to build those little models and sets. So he'd do all this stuff and it was like, he just to show them or present them. So, you know, again, getting back to, you know, the advice is just, it takes a lot of, you have to put like 200% in to get a hundred percent out. I mean, you really do. And I, I truly believe if you, if you really want to do something and never give up, it sounds crazy, but it's like, never give up. Even with my, you know, I have some shows and it's, I was like, I said, I will die but I'm, I will never give up until those shit, the, you know, my stuff airs on television. Like I'm never going to give up period. And so it took years and years and years and years, but it was like, like it's either give up or not give up. So for anyone that wants to do this stuff, you just have to decide I will not give up until I, you know, failure is not an option, you know? Right. And it never was for you. I mean, you were one of the hardest working, most determined, congenial, um, happy to be there appreciative pages that walk through those doors and look where it's led you well god bless you <laughs> right? i still and it's funny you guys used to do remember you used to give us reviews used to you, and actually this is insane like you used to we used to get page reviews so every i guess every i don't know if it was every year but we you know you had to fill out our mm -hmm. thing do you know that I have like your review that you wrote about me 30 years ago, also in a box, like above my head. Could you imagine that? Like I literally have not only that, but I, I printed all the reviews that, you know, Jan, you, mm. um, Chris, you know, Kathy, Mary, I printed them out and I, I literally had them bound in a, in like a booklet. And I, and I made like 10 copies of that booklet and I literally have them above. <laughs> So just to show you, like, I was so happy with those reviews that you gave me. And it was funny because I think maybe down the line when I was, you know, depressed, if I worked for someone, I'm like, but look at these nice reviews that they gave me back in the day. So, I, so again, it me, you know, I think it's really important that that having that support, you know, I mean, I put in the, I tried to do the best I could. I was 20 years old also, but having folks like yourself be nurturing and supportive you know, it does want to make me, you know, like it really meant a lot. So, you know, I can't thank you enough. I mean, it, it, it changed my life and I, it, it's, it's unbelievable. So, so God bless you. <laughs> so thank You're, you. Well, I, I, as I said to you before, I, you would have been successful no matter what, but well, I, I appreciate that, that, um, 
that you appreciate the opportunity that you had. So that means a lot. Okay. Thank you. Um, okay. Well, I guess we're the, the clock on the wall says we're out of time. So again, I want to thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. You gave so much great information and I, and I hope the listeners enjoyed it. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I, like I said, it's amazing because it feels, it literally feels like it was the other day that I just walked into your office. It was like, Janice, you know, whatever. And you're like giving me some advice or something. So thank you so much. Um, I so appreciate it. So uh, thank you, David. It's been Thanks a so pleasure catching up. Okay, take it easy. We'll talk soon. Okay, okay take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to A Page in History. A Page in History is produced by David Harris Katz Entertainment. For more information on our television shows, syndication, and more, go to dhcats.com. And to listen to more episodes of A Page in History, or if you've been lucky enough to call yourself one of the world-famous NBC pages and would like to appear on the show, go to apageinhistory.tv.